Hello and welcome to another episode of 10,000 Hours. I'm Grant Spanier. And I'm Vince Kochi. And you are listening to episode 119. Dang, Vince, it'd be an emergency if we did that one backwards. <laughs> you know, I will give you credit for that one. I uh, I didn't get it at first. And I was I was like, what? Wait. Yeah. Oh, it's the 911, I believe... Some of the our international guests. Is, yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. What is, what is it, it in England? Uh, six six six. Sitting those <laughs> Satan worshippers. Uh, one nineteen though. Heck of an episode. Yeah, fun. And the the perspective shared by the guest was one of the more eye opening that we've had in a while. Yeah, I I really related to a lot of his travel work and just the idea of of like finding an excuse to go and and work in different places and meet new people and that that gentleman of course was chris fritton the itinerant printer that's right the itinerant printer a reference to the old trade days of yore he is a man who is on a personal quest hopefully i'm not overstepping by saying that to sort of revisit analog printing and the joys and labors thereof. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's keeping it alive, at least, I think. Or, uh, honoring what was, what is. Certainly honoring. Yeah, and actually, he kind of had a he had a pretty open mind about how digital factors into printing. And, and I don't think he was, like, holding on with a death grip. I think it was more of a hand-in-hand with, uh, with the old technologies. No, most certainly. And that was one of the things about his time on the show that I thought was most cool and most enlightening. That and the fact that he's on this this insanely large scale project to meet you'll find the numbers in the podcast itself mm-hmm. but so many weeks so many miles so many people and the way that he finds commonality and sort of uh equal ground between the very disparate types of people he's meeting was really interesting totally and uh for the record we were talking about navigation as a topic we've never been too clever (laughs) (laughs) yeah Yeah. we're not one to pick some obtuse topic (laughs) no uh and uh thank you chris What, what a treat and thank you to death to stock uh if you've listened before you've probably heard me talk about it it is a project i've been working on and a company that i'm creative director for and we provide beautiful images for people to use in their projects and uh we release two packs a month and we've been releasing some really cool stuff. You know, a lot of it's human story driven, some of it's aesthetic driven, but uh, all of it is particularly useful for uh, whatever you're working on, whether it's designing a website or, or writing a blog or social. We have uh, people using our images for all sorts of stuff. So thank you, Death to Stock, for, uh, for supporting the show. Yes, thank you so much, Death to Stock. Thank you, Chris Fritton, for your project and for joining us despite your crazy travelogue yeah. itinerary of your own uh, on the show. And thank you, listeners. Hopefully, you enjoy episode 119 Navigation. I didn't hear what you said, but I'm going to emphatically agree, man. (laughs) 
I love your enthusiasm. Thank you. It's, Go just, for it. it's just my mo. <laughs> you can uh, convince people of anything with a little bit of chutzpah. I'm not sure if that, it was picked up on the mic. I was hitting a very low tone. No, it was there. Okay, yeah, were you feeling sure aroused? Uh, I actually learned it from um, from a gentleman in, in Chiang Mai, and it's meant to arouse <laughs> the listener. No, it. Uh, Did you feel I it in your loins, hungry. Vince? Did you I feel, feel it in your loins? <laughs> oh, you're hungry. Okay, I must have been. I must have been a, an octave off. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Vince, Grant, could you tell me? Uh, what are you putting your time into recently? What are you working on? You know, Grant, I've got some some decent answers to this question, but I'm actually gonna I'm gonna go with a, a sort of an oddball one, but it was one that I was working on uh, this last weekend and and even into the week a bit. I am trying to get uh, certified to be able to marry people in multiple states currently. Whoa! Tell me more. Uh, two of my very close friends, Elliot Matson, who I've mentioned before, and oh, Sarah Custer, who I think I, yeah, we've had a guest uh, episode six. Yep. And uh, then my my friend and coworker Sarah Custer, I am performing both of their weddings. Wow! Uh, this summer and fall, uh, so I've got to get registered in here in Hennepin County and then in Lake County, Illinois. You know, I don't like to puff you up much. I really, really don't. But that's got to say no, something. Yeah, yeah. That's got to say something about your character, or at least your relationships with these guys, that they would both uh, ask I'm you to marry them. Completely humbled, very humbled, and uh, honored for the opportunity. Gosh, uh, they're awesome people. So it's it's I really would, my my privilege to. do I would so. ask you to do the same for me, but I feel like three is like a bit much, you know. And your head your head may never recover. It may grow too large. <laughs> It's like it's like if you're uh, severely uh, obese and then you lose all that weight. It's like there will sort of just be this like flabbiness. Skin you know? Yeah, over. yeah. Skin I'm wearing a neck, neck brace currently to make sure that my head doesn't <laughs> collapse. Kill me. Um, it's no, so that's uh, there's actually a, quite a bit of paperwork that goes into it. So that's what I'm doing, Grant. Um, what are you putting your time into recently? What are you working on? <sighs> Let's see here, Vanilla Boy. Um, I've been shooting a bunch. I did a I did a really fun shoot and. Um, you know, I don't really identify that much with the title photographer. It's a thing I like to do. And like, obviously I, I kind of post a lot of that content. Um, but to me, it's just more of a, a fun expression, but I did have a, a pretty cool shoot with a guy named, uh, Luke Christopher. He's kind of a rapper singer and he's wearing like a full astronaut suit. And I was shooting, shooting him on a film and we were just like running around Venice, like on the beach in a laundromat <laughs> and, it Wait, was like, hold up, hold up. Yeah. He was in helmet, helmet as well. Yeah, helmet as well. Yeah, we got a costume. Did you shop. get like, yeah, refle- reflection problems on the, um, on, like, the visor? Uh, not too bad. I mean, I I can kind of like hide in. Like the reflections were cool. So, oh, yeah, sick. I'm like really excited about that. <laughs> I get that awesome, film back dude. in a couple of days. Yeah, I'll report back, Van. I'll, I'll get you some images. Maybe I we'll show no- we'll show notes like an Instagram or something. Probably. Let's consider it done. <laughs> okay it's considered done consider the consideration <laughs> done vince man oh uh, man so good to be back in the saddle with you Vinny boy likewise likewise grant we're doing another 
uh, sort of rainbow connection, coast mm-hmm. to coast, and then me on the seam in the middle of the country. Triple threat trio. <laughs> you, you know it. Uh, yes, so I'm in L.A., Vince is in Minneapolis, and our guest is coming to us from Buffalo, New York, of which I have some history. I once uh, was on a tour stop there at the college with Gallant, uh, a musician, uh, and actually, Vince, I feel like I told this story on the cast once, but uh, a pizza, this was the only time this has ever happened, where we were like about to miss the tour bus, and they're pretty ruthless about that. Like They'll leave you, and then you have to fly. It's just this whole thing. Uh, it's like a process thing. And uh, we... The, the the pizza we couldn't get a cab there were no ubers or lifts like that's also nothing and i asked the uh, pizza delivery guy outside if he would bring us there and he just like didn't bad and i was like yeah sure no worries <laughs> just drove us <laughs> drove us to the college campus and i do us remember off. that story yeah. that was that was a year or years ago but yeah it still holds up it was special the kindness of folks is really what makes it really special and, and i'm hoping and, our guest will reflect that same kindness i don't know though what do you think? If you had to guess, if you were a betting man, it's a high bar. If it's a high bar, but I'm optimistic. <sighs> As am uh, I. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do what I can. Okay, <laughs> oh, okay, yeah, there he is. I'm feeling it. I'm feeling it already. <laughs> uh, yes. No, that does sound like my hometown, though. That sounds like Buffalo. You know? True. If you need the pizza guy to give you a ride, I'll give you a ride. There's something really special, really beautiful about that. And today, man, uh, it's bound to be a special conversation. Uh, I'm so excited to dig a little bit into this gentleman's story, and that is uh, Mr. Chris Fritten. It's Fritten. Fritten. It, it, Fritten. Fritten as is written, they always say. <laughs> and uh, he is the itinerant printer, uh, which is a really cool project. We, we dug a little bit into it. It, he's been traveling all around the country. He's he's doing all sorts of analog typesetting, printing, and uh, and we're so excited to have you, Chris. Welcome to the show. Yeah, it's great to be here. Uh, like I was saying, as I travel around the country, I listen to you guys all the time. So being here and actually having a conversation uh, feels a lot less one-sided, you know? <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. Wow. That's humbling and awesome. And And Chris, let me be the first then to do the honors uh, probably the only as well to do the honors of asking you. <laughs> I might do it too, Vince. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, who knows? What are you working on recently? What are you putting your time into? Uh, I've been putting my time into this project called the Itinerant Printer, and that's been about two years. I started in January 26, 2015, and I've been traveling all around the U.S. and Canada, visiting different letterpress print shops. And uh, I've covered about 45,000 miles. I've visited 123 print shops. I've made over 15,000 prints and uh, have just a few places left to go in the continental U.S. and Canada before I wrap this whole thing up. Dude. Wow. That's That's incredible, prolific, and exciting. It's been an adventure like the whole time. I usually do it in legs. So I'll be out for two or three months at a time and then I'll take two or three weeks off and then I'll go out for another two or three months. And uh, so far I've covered 40 states, you know, probably about 100 cities and whole southeast, southwest, west coast, northwest. And uh, I'm going to wrap this whole thing up in New England in just a couple of weeks when I visit Maine, New Hampshire, Vermont, uh, Boston, Providence, and then down to Jersey. Super Bowl champions as well. It's going to be yeah. so It's all time. going right for New England now. <laughs> they yeah. got Chris coming through, and they've got a, they've got a Super Bowl right. 
<laughs> we don't usually talk about the Patriots much. I don't know. Oh, from yeah. Buffalo, That's fair. Yeah. Okay. The, oh, the Bills, right. of course. Right. Okay. Wait. Right. Yeah. You have to. Yeah. You have to share a conference with those guys for the last twenty years. It's uh. It's tough on you. Damn. Bills are are not to derail us too much, but one of my favorite all time tragic tales of NFL history the four the four bowls in a row the four Super Bowl losses in a row. What was it? Uh, there's like a there's a thirty for thirty on that I believe. Yes, right? I watched it. What is it? Four it, Falls or something? It brought know. me to tears actually oh, when the kicker wow. was talking. Yeah, it was <laughs> it was really outrageous. But <sighs> that's we'll show notes that. Yeah, uh, undoubtedly. Man, so many questions and so much. Um, so I mean, Vince, you and I could probably, uh, on a very low level, connect with this idea of of being on the road, of uh, of traveling to your project with our Creators Go West project, which is now what, like five years old, four years old, five? Yeah, it's ancient history at this point. Yeah, but, but yeah, we. I mean, we we got a taste for it. Uh, certainly not taste. the prodigal amounts of space and time and locations covered by the itinerant printer, but. Uh, there are challenges that are common uh, and joys that are common to any travel-based project. And that's sort of what we're talking about today, isn't it, Greg? It certainly is. And it's something actually I just personally relate to, especially as somebody who works on the road quite a bit, albeit less so recently. But I, I would say probably for the last like four or five years, I've consistently been working on the road in in different forms. And and Vince, what is a common element of such travels? Is it perhaps, Vince? <laughs> yes. Navigation. That it is, Grant. Uh, navigation in all forms of the word, both the very practical challenges, logistical, that you must overcome to do a project, especially one as prolific as the itinerant printer, uh, but also navigation in terms of, you know, charting a course and staying on task and navigating various communities and industries and, you know, the, the, more, the more meta challenges that you might face uh, through a project's lifespan. And so I'm really looking forward to uh, picking Chris's brain and seeing how such a large and sprawling project as his uh, dealt with some of these concerns, both logistical and otherwise. Yeah, I mean, it really is an amazing snapshot of America at this one, you know, brief period in time. So to be able to see almost all of it within the space of two years, meet all these different people from different regions, uh, see their studios, see how they work, and uh, figuratively and literally, uh, I'm constantly navigating, you know, I'm, I'm hopping in the car and turning on the GPS so that I can get to the next place. Mm. And then when I land there, I land in a studio sometimes that I've never seen before with equipment that I've never seen before. So it goes from this macro to the micro where I have to navigate the studio. And then it gets even more micro when I have to navigate the personalities of the people that I'm around. As I travel, I visit all kinds of different places too. I'm doing schools and universities that might have letterpress printing or relief printing programs, privately owned shops, big commercial shops, and then even people that just have like a hobby shop in their garage. Uh, so it can be really intimate, or it could be like I'm speaking to you know a whole lecture hall full of art students, and um, it's you know uh, fascinating the generalizations that you can make like in a short period of time 
But yes. uh, yeah, there's plenty of navigating on every level. And I feel like it more and more acute when I get to a place, you know, like, okay, I got here. Now I got to do this. Yes, now I yes. got to do this. Yeah. Mo- uh, the, the turns get smaller. The, the navigations get tighter. So perhaps uh, to navigate us here, uh, a couple places we can start. And I have to... I hope we can Vince let's show notes this there's a there's a sketch in the most recent episode of Portlandia which was uh, or in episode five of the most recent season the final season whatever season we're in like nine or eight or something and uh, there's this there's this dude who like he's trying to uh, it opens up it's kind of like this cheesy sketch and he's trying to find the bathroom in an office building and like he, he like talks about how like there you know when he gets in the car he can navigate to the place and he instantly shuts off when people try to give him directions and now there's a navigation like kind of meta navigation so like you can <laughs> find the bathroom in there and then it like goes deeper and it's like uh like life navigation he's like trying to find like uh, it's like oh you need a job you have been idle for 3.5 weeks and then it like navigates him through the job and it's, it's just like aha yes this is we we need so much direction these days but um when we're navigating, we, we we definitely have an A, and hopefully we have some sort of B, even if it's just a, sometimes that's just a general direction and maybe not a, an actual final destination. But Chris, I'm wondering if you could start off by just talking a little bit about the origins of the project and kind of where that A was, and maybe where you thought that, that B was going to be, or, or where it ended up being, or, or maybe that's still not certain, but... Um, yeah, I'd love to hear about about the the beginnings of the itinerant printer. Yeah, the you know the A that I would really take on is I started out as a poet and a writer, and uh, even earlier than that was just making punk and skateboarding scenes in the '80s. So I was always into you know being able to write something, produce it in this uncensored way, and deliver it to people. And then as I got more into poetry and writing, I was looking for a way to improve the quality of my books. And then I got into letterpress printing and uh, would, you know, letterpress print a cover for a book, but I'd digitally print the inside. And then I eventually moved on to letterpress printing entire books, learning how to hard case them. So I started out as a writer and a book artist. And then I ended up running the studio, uh, this place here in Buffalo called the Western New York Book Art Center, where we do letterpress printing, screen printing, all kinds of different things, book binding. And uh, around 2013, 2014, I started reading about what they called tramp printers or itinerant printers. And I got really fascinated by this idea. Uh, these guys from just pre the Civil War, like around 1850, all the way until the 1950s, if they had a union card from the International Typographical Union, they could travel anywhere in the U.S. and pick up a job. They would literally work for two weeks in Chicago, move to Cincinnati, work there for two weeks, move to Kansas City, work there for two weeks. They would follow the work, uh, but they were also just nomadic, but they were earning their keep. And I was like, man, this is fascinating. Like, I wonder if I could re-envision this for modern times. There's no longer a union. I couldn't really expect anyone to pay me a wage. But I'm like, is there a way that I could make this work traveling around the country, still doing letterpress printing, um, primarily doing my own work, but also helping other people out with their work? So this really came from this historical notion of itinerant printers or tram printers. And back then they just referred to them as travelers. And uh, I've met a lot of older printers on this trip that remember travelers coming through their shops, even in the 40s and 50s. So, you know, the fascination initially was just like, wow, I wonder if I could move all around the country and continue to work and produce art. 
the second part of that though was really, you know, that in the A to B, how could I improve my own skill set? You know, how could I get better at this craft that I was involved in? And I think that uh, getting out and seeing other people's workflow, spending time in their studio, what I've done essentially is facilitate this own, you know, my journeyman time in my own career. Uh, and not many people get that benefit anymore. So, so I don't know precisely what the B is, yeah. but I hope the B out the other side is maybe like becoming a better printer and becoming a better person. I mean, this is something we've talked about a lot, uh, you know, overlapping motivations, finding ways to create value or have an excuse to do something. Even the podcast, it was, it, I think, a, a relevant example here where, oh, this is a great excuse to talk with interesting people. And that's like a version of a B. Let's just maybe say that's like, let's say like uh, the real B is maybe like an F or, you know, like it's just a step along the way. And if we only get that far, that's great. You know, maybe there are other levels um, that can come of it. But as long as you've identified something that you're going to gain value out of it, like that's, I think that's such a helpful thing, especially if you're able to sustain yourself in any way and just keep moving forward. Yeah, I think you're totally right. And you think about this like a multi-leg flight or something or multi-leg journey. So it's like once I got here, it's like I don't have to stop. I can go farther. And when I'm out there, uh, just like these early itinerant printers, I'm bringing tips and tricks about printing to these people, you know, and I can carry one thing like a tip from one place to another. You become this analog conduit for information. And uh, I was, you know, really compelled by that. And I wasn't sure that it would even be a part of this trip because with social media and a really small community like letterpress printing, I'm like, everything is totally ubiquitous. Everyone knows what everyone else is doing. And I was totally wrong. You know, my first stop was down in Fort Lauderdale and uh, my next stop was in Boca Raton. They're like 15 minutes apart. This is two years ago. And I got to the second place and I was like, hey, I was just down the road at wherever. And they were like, where, what? We never heard of that place. Mm. <laughs> that is actually like, magical, man. Yeah. That is so in the spirit, and allow me to impose this own interpretation onto it, but uh, of what you're doing, right? It's like an analog way. It's like an oral tradition of spreading information, which is so in the vein of what the itinerant printer is trying to do, right? Exactly. And the idea that, you know, it, it just, uh, the analogy with, analog printing so i'm doing everything using antique style printing traditional wood type metal type um, all working by hand and then instead of trying to disseminate the information digitally primarily uh, i get to stop and spend time with someone i get to tell them about where i just was we get to you know share stories and uh, that sort of anecdotal engine i would think of it as is something that's really really powerful and i think it's something that sticks with me and sticks with other people a lot more than maybe just say like a post on facebook Mm. can't uh can't deny the the ephemerality vince can i is ephemerality that a correct conjugation you got it man the ephemerality of said facebook post you cannot deny it um i do wonder I, i wonder if we could talk a little bit about analog obviously it's romantic and it's something in that situation, of course, that like is such a deeper connection that in person, you know, uh, off digital. Um, I find a lot of my man for good or for ill. A lot of my work has gone digital 
whether that's design or you know you had these troves of of handwritten notes and you know actually one of the few things uh that i still do handwritten is actually podcast notes and podcast like prep um but besides that, most of my writing is all all on the computer. Just it's all about ease. Um, I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about that. Like, does the computer factor into your work? It must, I suppose, in coordinating. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I joke about it all the time. It's like yeah. this project's about analog printing, but 95 percent of what I do is digital. You know, <laughs> it's going to be emailing people about the schedule. It's going to be indexing my own work and taking photographs of it. It's social media posts, like all that stuff, you know, that makes up a disproportionate amount of the work that I'm doing to facilitate this analog project. Mm. But at the same time, I think that it's really important. uh, And I try to express this to students a lot when I get to talk to them is to never think of the digital and analog as mutually exclusive. Mm. It's, it's really unhelpful approach. So I'm not a letterpress printer because I'm a Luddite or I eschew technology. Um, I, I really love to see the ways that they can engage. And I love to tell students and, and other people, you know, you can still design something on the computer and have plates made for letterpress printing. So you can go from the digital to the analog if you want. And then there's this insane uh, treasure trove of material, this huge repository of antique images and retro images, as well as typefaces um, that you can print letterpress scan in and then have his raw material for whatever you're constructing digitally. So it's a two-way street. And um, I like to think of, you know, my correspondence with people uh, as having both those components. So, you know, me, I do have to email somebody, but once I get there, I get to tell you a story about, you know, when I was in West Texas or something. And you you exclusively send emails as images of handwritten letters, correct? (laughs) (laughs) Actually, yeah, I I typeset the entire thing. (laughs) It takes hours. I do have hours, to say, I, I have I have a profound respect for not only the what you're doing in general, just on its face, but for the pragmatic approach that you have to the process. You are identifying very real benefits thereof. You're not getting too washed up in sort of a uh, maybe what is a trendy call to the past. You're not flooded with the romanticism of the notion. You recognize that digital aspects of communication, I mean, obvious as it may seem, can accent and and help the analog way of creation. Yeah, I I totally think you're right in that way where it's like um, you have to look to the past and regard the whole legacy and history of printing with a lot of respect as well as the craft and the vocation. But you have to look to the future in a way to see like what's coming next. You know, what is letterpress printing going to be in 10, 15, 20, you know, even 50 years? Uh, It's going to change aesthetically and it's also going to change in terms of what we do. Uh, in the process itself. The machinery, that's a different story. Most of us, for the most part, will be working with this antique machinery. You know, there's a finite amount of it known Mm -hmm. as producing new stuff. Um, But yeah, uh, when you said that earlier and you said something about the romanticism of it, you know, I do regard that warily. You know, I'm a little suspicious sometimes if it's wrapped up in romanticism or nostalgia. Um, So I try to take all that on with like a a healthy dose of skepticism and keep looking forward, even though I have to look to the past in terms of, uh, you know, the the actual physical skill set that I have. Wow. I I mean, that's really great. Yeah, I'd I'd Um, written nostalgia down on my 
on my paper here because that it, it, uh, oftentimes people use that as a blanket, a safety blanket against criticism or against. Mm, a lot, yeah. A lot, yeah. Oh my God! So so very true. And I think anyone who's ever and this is a dated term now, even like three or four years dated, but has uh, been exposed to in scare quotes, hipster culture can <laughs> understand a sort of a backlash against things that are assigned value purely for their nostalgic properties and their their romanticism. But I yeah. don't feel at all that that's what you're yeah, doing here. No, I definitely always thought that too. And I think that nostalgia isn't just like a, you know, a capitalist trap. It's also like a, an aesthetic trap because then, you know, you're bound up in a particular look often and you don't want to uh, ever veer from that look because then your thing won't be saleable in the market anymore. And in that way, you're never going to be able to push the boundaries of the medium. Um, I often compare some of the more experimental work I've been doing in letterpress printing um, to this transition that would have happened in painting or anything else, where if you know no one had ever decided to use a paintbrush in a different way or progress into what we know as like abstract expressionism, then we'd still be doing hyper-real portraiture from the 1500s and 1600s. And the same with letterpress printing, if all of the content is literal, here's a gig poster, here's something that looks exactly like you expect it to, you're doing to, you know, letterpress as a medium a disservice and not sort of pushing the boundaries of what it can do and what the machines can do. Mm. That's super insightful. Um, if I may, I would love to sort of careen our conversation slightly sideways and ask you Sounds to maybe be a, a little more um, a little more literal. Take a, a few moments. Certainly, we'll return to a greater narrative. But you've been on the road a lot for a long time—two years, hundreds of locations, uh, and how, how many thousands of miles did you say? It's uh, over 45,000 now. It'll probably be 50,000 soon once I wrap this whole thing up. And how many yeah. hours? <laughs> oh, man. You know, no, we, we, can. we can only imagine. Um, <laughs> well, so on that note, I'd love if you could offer some of your insights as to what it's like traveling so prolifically and being the conduit, as you described it, between so many different voices and places and mindsets has certain challenges you expected or did not expect arisen because of this? And, and did you ever sort of tire of the process? Oh, man. I feel like <clears throat> the first thing, you know, that I, I hopped in a plane and I landed in Florida and all I had on my mind was just openness that was the thing where I was just like, what is going to make this project work? And I realized that it was openness. It was going to be openness to different personalities, to the new ideas that came to me. And then it was going to be the openness um, to share those things with the people along the way. So, you know, each uh, printer that I meet, like I said, I'm building all these anecdotes and this whole history that I get to share with them. And um, I think that that's what's really facilitated the whole thing is this kind of openness. And in that way, I'm always willing to do anything that someone wants to do, even if it seems outside my comfort zone, where I'll be in, you know, say Chico, Texas, or sorry, Chico, California, and be like, oh, we're going to the swimming hole tonight. And I'll just be like, uh, that's not really my thing. But the part of me that just says yes during the trip is always like, yep, I'll see you there. 
And uh, I do that in shops too. So I think about it socially when I'm out there, say yes to everything. I think about it pragmatically and practically when I'm in the studio and someone says, this is how we do things here. I say, yep, I'll try it. Let's see how it works. And then uh, at the end of the day, it's my interpretation of it too. So when I uh, experience all these different personality types, you know, and I have to do it in such close quarters all the time. It's a very intimate setting. Um, I have to really be open and understand that those people are going to be different from me. I made like a weird presumption, I think, early on throughout my life prior to this trip that maybe everyone involved in this medium had a similar background. That like maybe they were all, you know, like punk rockers and had something to do with the world of skateboarding and all these things that have been super influential to me. And then I would show up somewhere and be like, oh, wow, this person has very right wing politics. This person listens to completely different kind of music than me. All we really share is this medium. And uh, it's that's something that's always challenging to navigate. And for the most part, it's been awesome. You know, everyone's completely generous and everyone's been really gracious. And I feel grateful for that. But it doesn't mean, uh, you know, that it's sort of internally and emotionally always perfectly smooth. Mm. I think one of the greatest challenges is like being alone. I spend so much time in the car alone that all I'm doing is sort of replaying scenarios in my head and then making presumptions about what the next scenarios might be. Uh, but the openness mitigates that. So I don't feel so bad about it when my expectations aren't met. And I feel really excited about it. Like when my uh, expectations, um, you know, are exceeded. Man, that it that is fascinating. I I have to imagine there's some f- some form of like sort of necessary solace to be taken by the sheer volume of places you visit. Where like maybe if you were if you were doing less traveling, like if you if you were only going to 20 places total, you might get in your head even more if there's more space between, but it seems like cuz like, cuz I guess just practically how uh, how much time are you spending in each place? Uh, usually about two or three days. So I'd come in the first day, get the lay of the land. The next day I'll print and I'll do like a workshop or have some sort of meet and greet. And then the last day is like a wrap up day after the prints have dried and I get to take them with me and then just kind of map out where I'm headed next. So usually I'd say three days. I've got to say that is way more than I expected. I was imagining like three to five hours of interviewing and process examination. Like, that is crazy that you spend three days in each of these hundreds of places. Yeah. And what's amazing about it is that a lot of times I'm like staying with the printers and the yeah, people. Okay, so it's like, I'm, you know, I'm, oh I'm, my in God. Print, I'm in their print shop all day, but then I'm also like in their home all night and I, you know, we'll go out to the bar, we'll get dinner Jeez. together. Um, so there's days in between where I take a break, you know, where it's a travel day and, um, occasionally it feels like the greatest respite maybe just to get a hotel Dude. and kind of like cash out for a little while and not be social man that, <laughs> yeah, that's inti- i can't that, imagine that's like always on you must be sort of galvanized uh, uh, to a certain degree by like just like it, it's i think i guess at this to the same point i was making before just the sheer volume of it but i i was on the road kind of for a few months basically um interstitial uh, or transient in relocating to LA and Vince and I talked at length about how intense it was for me just like not having a home base and sort of having to be on other people's time schedule 
lifestyle. <laughs> like, and you just, not only are you on that, but there is no routine because you end up sort of readjusting every few days. Oh, yeah, totally. And imagine like navigating your own circadian rhythms. So it's like I'm a night owl and I do my best work between like midnight and 4 a.m. But I might end up in some place where my university schedule is to do a couple of classes that start at like 9 a.m. And then everybody's had dinner and by like nine o'clock at night, they're ready to wrap up and I have to be there. I have to navigate, you know, what I'm going to do, how I'm going to find free time or how I'm going to get anything done if everybody wants to go to bed at nine o'clock. So, okay. So actually, let me, let me ask you this, uh, uh, very similar. I had some similar experiences and, and I've talked to at length with Vince about circadian rhythms and like, I'm a night owl as well. So I, I feel you on that. Uh, one thing that's helpful for me is, is certain systems or I guess just kind of, uh, habits, things that can guide me along. Uh, do you have any sort of systems that particularly helped you navigate that, like those challenges? I feel like uh, it, this might sound silly, but when I'm on the road, um, I never really drink too much. And it's almost like kind of I do everything I can to live pretty clean. It doesn't mean I won't like have a couple beers at the bar. But I realize that if I go too far, I've like wasted a day or even wasted like two days. And I can't afford to get that behind. Um, But I find that if I'm doing everything I can to eat well and I'm doing everything I can to not go overboard, you know, socializing, um, that I can find the time to do what I need to do. And uh, I think that a lot of times, as long as I have Wi-Fi, I can escape by midnight and still have four hours to crack out some work while everyone else sleeps around me. Um, So I wouldn't call it like sneaking away, but it's something like cordoning myself off in order to actually get that done. And what's really interesting, we talked about sort of navigating different personalities, too, is that some people really realize that once once I get there, they're like, oh, oh, you need some time, I'll, I'll let you do your thing. And other people are just like, let's do this, let's do this, let's do this. And um, I love it because they're so enthusiastic and they want to share everything with me. But at the end of the day, there can be times like where I'll say, oh, man, I didn't get any of my own work done. <laughs> mm-hmm. I didn't uh, you know, map out the next three weeks like I was supposed to. Or So that can be challenging too because you never want to offend someone. And like I said, uh, so that that being open it cuts both ways. Yeah, uh, I, I find that side really challenging. Though, like, you know, you care you care a lot, and you want to say yes, and but uh, kind of in the same way you're talking about people, you know, like let's go to the bar, let's do this thing, let's do whatever. You're you're sort of a visitor, and it becomes a holiday for all the people you're visiting, and you're just like, no, no, no. yeah, this is amazing, but like, can we just go to bed? <laughs> oh, it's so, it's so true. You, you know? must and have it's done like, so I, much of that. And I want to see so much of that stuff, you know, when everybody's yeah, like, oh man, we have special. to go to this tourist destination, and we have to go to this great restaurant, and I'm, you know, I'm down for all of it, and uh, I'll go anywhere, but um, at the end of the day, I can definitely be like, oh man, you know, for them, this was just like this fantastic, like you said, holiday, and for me, I was like, this is a working day, you know, every day's a working day. <laughs> people people said that when I was starting out the trip, they're going to like, oh, that's going to be great, it's going to be like being on vacation for two years. I, I've worked harder in this two years yeah. and longer hours than I ever have at any job in my entire life. I don't doubt that in the least. Um, well... You can have a you can't have a journey. I suppose you can in sort of an 
ethereal sense, but you can't really have a journey without a an endpoint, right? A, I mean, we've we've talked about going to point B, but what do you do after the itinerant printer is done? Are you going to miss the road? Are you going to need something to fill the void of of such dynamic difference in your daily schedule, or do you think that you'll slip back into a more stabilized routine? I know you take sort of interstitial breaks from the road, so there, there's not a complete lack of, of routine, but do you think that you'll move on to a, a similar project or at least one inspired by the itinerant printer, or will you kind of leave that part of your, of your project making behind? I'm probably going to quit printing. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Okay. Uh, but but it has crossed my mind before the thought where I'd be like, man, just go out with a bang and just quit printing entirely uh, and do like what Duchamp did, you know, and just play chess for the rest of my life or something. Um, but unfortunately, I haven't had any sort of level of success that I could do what Duchamp did. But, um, you know, there's a couple different options for me, and I'm at a crossroads. Uh, you know, I do get what the older printers and the itinerant printers called the itching foot, you know, and I'll be home for a few weeks and I'll be like, all right, I'm ready to go again. Um, so I've thought about taking the project global. I have, I've had a lot of offers from different countries, you know, France, the UK, Ireland, Australia, Japan, Argentina, places where there's these burgeoning letterpress scenes that are doing things in a very different way that are just coming up. They're actually behind the US, you know, by a decade or more in getting on this DIY handmade revolution. Um, so there could be like a volume two where mm-hmm. I could just take the itinerant printer global and do a, a volume two of the book and everything. So shit, man, maybe the, uh, maybe we go on the road with you. We get another, another set of episodes on the road, 10,000 hours. I like this idea. We'll go to Japan first. Sounds fun. Start in Japan, make our way across, uh, just across Asia into Europe. Maybe we'll <laughs> take a stop off for uh, a few years in the south of France. <laughs> um, exactly. Are you familiar? Are you familiar at all with um, Art Crank, Charles Ewell? Uh, no, I, okay. I don't think I am. But... Friend of the show, former guest. Uh, I yep. I feel like his his story would be interesting for you to to look into. Uh, it's like a poster party for bike people was kind of the original impetus and mm-hmm. um, thought behind it. But he he was on the show. I don't, I don't even know. Where 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 does he fall in the lexicon? All, I think it's early season three. Yeah yeah yeah, and um, I know they expanded globally for a bit and then had some trouble. Not that I'm like warning you off of it, but I I do know like and it was a, a kind of a printed party poster type thing. Um, mm-hmm. I think that I've seen some of the work, the art crank work, um, probably out there just in the poster bike, world. Bike posters, but, right? Yeah. yeah. And I definitely get there's a danger in sort of scaling this thing. So if I were to do global, I would have to, you know, be mindful of the scale. I, I luck out because, as I said, I visit so many diverse places that I can intersperse visiting private places with yeah. like schools and institutions. And when I do that, a lot of times that's enough to sustain me for a little while. So um, cool. I would have to really be responsive to, you know, hitting up a design school in each country or something and then sharing what I've done uh, and I think that that might help facilitate it, but it definitely wouldn't be like this. I would never be able to visit, say, 150 shops across the world. I might be able to do 20. You know, that seems far more realistic. Still, I, I love I love that you've given yourself kind of, you've created a momentum, you know, or, or a reason to go do stuff. I think that's so powerful. Man, that's like, um, 
Yeah. More people would just benefit from doing that, even on smaller, smaller levels, you know, like find a reason to do anything, to talk to somebody, to go this direction, to go this direction. Um, But yeah, your project is, is uh, pretty ambitious. Very cool. And I think it, it should be said that, that the amount of data points that you have, that really lends itself. And it's not always possible with projects. In fact, it's probably very rarely possible to do it just as prodigally as you have, but doing a, a lot of iterations of something, collecting a lot of diverse points of view and sort of plotting a, a very grand chart, uh, it, it's a recipe for success. Yeah, that's a great point. Not uh, not just about uh, sort of navigating socially or anything else, but it, it is a success, uh, a recipe for success that way, but for the aesthetic work too. Um, if you think I'm going into a finite set of circumstances in every letterpress shop. And letterpress itself is creativity within constraint. I have a finite number of objects and I can arrange in like an infinite number of ways. And every time I make a print, we can think of it like practice. And at some point I begin to realize what works, what doesn't, and I can carry that forward. Um, And I think that a lot of people don't have that advantage, which is the other reason why I compare this to a journeyman time in my career as a printer. Um, I finally get to having, getting to have these myriad experiences that will eventually culminate, I think, in a stronger style as well as like a stronger skill set. So, you know, when I left on this trip, I had a reasonably strong style. Most of my work is really like fine lines and bright colors, tons of fluorescent neon ink. Um, I've always been attracted to that sort of work. And then when I got out on the road, I had to make some adjustments and modifications. You know, I'm still doing fine lines and neon colors, but, but maybe I show up in a shop that just doesn't have that stuff. Maybe they just don't have what I think would be easy or fun to work with. Mm. That doesn't somehow excuse me from making something there. (laughs) I still have to try to make something aesthetically engaging with whatever I find. And uh, I think that that's just been an amazing part of the the trip is the problem solving because it's what I love about letterpress printing and, you know, to begin with. Totally. The road adds such a, it's one control element that forces you, you know, it's constraints and, um, having to deal with a new situation. I mean, that's just really exciting. I, I spent some time on the road, like photographing a couple of tours, uh, for musicians and just the nature of that can be frustrating, but also exciting because there's, there's literally something you have to deal with every day and every, something new every day that you're going to have to figure out. And that's one way to stay engaged with your work for sure. <laughs> and for I think- sure. It really is. And I think there's an expectation on my part and an expectation on the onlookers part. So all these people that follow the itinerant printer project, you know, they don't expect me to show up in, say, Minneapolis and try to print something and then have it fail. I mean, it's always interesting to have those ones and a lot of, I would say maybe 10 or 20 percent of what I've done, I do feel like is a visual or an aesthetic failure. But there's an expectation, you know, that comes internally. There's an external expectation, and I have to try to meet both those when I show up for this finite time period in a place, crack out a print, and uh, I wouldn't say hope it works, but try to make it work. Ooh, that is exciting. You know, I, I do. I feel like more and more and more, especially over the last few years, like the idea of performing and having to perform um and like having a stage, whatever that might be, like that's really mm-hmm. exciting. And, and at least for me, that's really motivating. 
you know, so you've, you've kind of created a stage for yourself in each of these cities or, or a project that is kind of a bigger stage. And then these little mini stages that just like give you somewhere to perform. That's really true. There's like an urgency about it too, you know? And it's like, because if I'm, you know, coming into town, you know, I'm going to be there, but you might only know a week ahead of time. And then it's a single night for a couple hours where we throw some stuff on the press. And then uh, I usually do a meet and greet where people can actually maybe print something themselves. Um, But at the end of the day, you know, like there's a lot of urgency about how do I produce this product and share it with everyone. I think that uh, one of the ways that I wanted to get people involved, and this was early on in the project, was through mail art and correspondence art. So I've always been involved in mail art and the postcards that I make while I'm out there they get sent back to people that have supported the project. So they actually get a little piece of that event or that performance or that print shop, you know, delivered right to their mailbox from my hands to their hands. Very cool. Um, uh, Well, I'm going to do my customary duty of again, veering us off topic this time more directly as we're talking about different cities that you wind up in. We're talking about stages, talking about what you would expect or wouldn't expect from a, a city you're visiting. And so it kind of naturally parlays into this week's off-topic topic. We're talking about something that's not particularly germane to the topic at hand. We're talking about tourist spots, be they uh, little-known destinations or tourist traps, you, sir, have seen many, many cities, and so you must have been exposed to many, many places of tourism. What are your takes on these? Are you a fan? Are you sort of embracing the kitschiness of it, or do you revile them with every fiber of your being? <laughs> I think that uh, it can really vary. Um, like I said, in that open way that I approach the whole trip, I'm really down to go anywhere and see anything. So if there's something that's a really traditional sort of like tourist trap um i'll go to that you know but i'd like to pick off hours and like off days instead of hitting it up you know like on a friday evening or something you might find me there in like a tuesday morning at 7 a.m when there's no one else around and uh, that way i get to have the experience unless it's like a restaurant or something obviously but if it's say a landmark i'll go do that and i'll do it alone um i think that I've always had that mindset that it's only kitsch if you have a really derogatory attitude towards other people's experience. Um, I always reminded of P.T. Barnum when someone would be calling him out or heckling him from the crowd and he'd point him out and he'd say, you, sir, are the only one who isn't having fun. Everyone else is. So you're the one that has the problem. And I think about that when I'm in like a tourist trap place and I do start to feel maybe like a little bitter. Maybe I'm just like, man, this isn't for me. There can be a part of me that's just like, well, out of all these people standing around you, you might be the only one. So maybe just open it up, let it happen. On the other side of that coin, I've found, you know, crazy places. Like I was talking about whether it's swimming holes or whether it's just someplace way up in the mountains that not that many people know about, but I'm lucky enough to have a friend with me that can act as like a spirit guide and be like, man, we have to go to this place. Um, And I've had really outstanding experiences on that side of the coin too. So big and small. Can uh, Can I make you backtrack just a bit? 
Sure. It's not, it's not very often you hear about a, a swimming hole. I'm actually not 100% <laughs> sure that I know what you're referencing. Are you, is it like yeah. a, a lake? Are you it's talking about Vince, a lake? Vince, it's a hole for swimming. It's a hole for <laughs> no, swimming. What do you? I know. I get the literal. No, 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 Vince. It's it's a hole wherein yeah. one swims. You, you swim in the hole, right? <laughs> yes. Thank you. You get it. Now. You get it right. There's. It's. It's like a. You know. It's a hole in the ground, and and then there's a little bit of water in it. And no, then I get it. I get it. No, no, Vince. Is it no, like Vince. Vince, humans are naturally buoyant. A hot springs? What? <laughs> what is? Where is it? What is a swimming hole? Okay, Vince. Okay, hold on. Let me let me project here. I don't actually know his answer. He was talking about. I feel like Texas. Oh no, he was talking about Chico before. My mm-hmm. my imagination goes to. I mean, I definitely know of quarries. I'm from Granite City, the Granite City, St. Cloud, Minnesota, where there are a bunch of quarries, and there is like a what I would call maybe not a swimming hole, a swimming quarry, but it, it is a swimming hole, swimming hole esque. I feel like this has just got less stone, man. It's maybe is like, it, what, is, is that, that a pond? So? I don't know. All right. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think it roughly sort of like refers to like a region too. So uh, my mom grew up in West Virginia and in West Virginia, you have all these tiny creeks. Uh, there's like cricks, they would call them. There's cricks, cricks everywhere in, in all the cricks. You know, there might be a stop place where the water stops, gets a little bit slower. It's a little bit deeper. And when it gets too hot in the summertime, you just go hit the swimming hole. Uh, or the holler, as they call it down there, too, in West Virginia. And I've found that there's, like, these weird swimming hole cultures in all these different places. So when I was in Austin, um, you know, there's uh, streams and creeks that run into the rivers there. And people have found all these kind of secret little spots along them to go swim. And Chico has, like, a whole almost, like, swimming hole culture where uh, – there's a bunch of creeks again that run through the town and everyone just gets together when it's too hot outside and you head out to these little areas. They're like cultural gathering spots, you know? And See, I'm uh, so I mean, glad I asked because I, I grew up in a rural community and we don't have a swimming hole culture there. So this is fascinating to me. I feel like it's a warm weather thing too. I mean, this isn't something where, you know, I'm from Buffalo and it's like, I can tell you there's plenty of cricks for us to walk around, but we don't really have swimming holes either because what are we going to swim in them two months out of the year when it's warm enough? Fair enough. So, yeah. But yeah, that's, uh, that's been like part of it. And I think to go all the way back, like we were talking about to the idea of these tourist traps, I think that with traveling so much, you get like a sixth sense for it too. You begin to recognize when you're about to get pulled into a scenario <laughs> or a situation that you you maybe don't want to be, and I think it gives you like you know the option to veer out a little bit earlier than you normally would. Like when I was in New Orleans just recently, I'd been there before, but I went to the French Quarter in like Bourbon Street on like a Tuesday night, and it was fine. You know, it was amazing, and I uh, had a beer, and then I went back on like a Friday or a Saturday as I was leaving. You know, and it was everything you see on TV. It was this insane, just uh, massive people, drunken, you know, shit show. And I realized that Tuesday night was the night to be at that tourist trap. And everything <laughs> looked out fine. Yeah, th- there is something romantic, uh, or at least I actually think, you know, sometimes we can be really cynical, but sometimes just like leaning into the kitschiness, yeah, it might reveal more than you thought. You know, it's really easy to like write it off, but sometimes it's like, you know what? Maybe there's a reason a lot of people do this or a reason a lot of, you know. Yeah, there's a sort of a similar appeal to like when you get into very popular music or a blockbuster film or instance, there's sort of like, well, 
you can there's there's very obvious flaws in this, but there's also sort of appeal to the masses that I can yeah I can feel part of and a, and a participation know, in the culture, right? Yeah, that's yeah, right. yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's the thing too, where it's just like you know you might sort of set it aside because of the hype early on. You're just like, oh, I'm not going to watch that show or I'm not going to do whatever because it's so hyped. But then at the end of the day, you realize that there might have been a reason. There might have been a little germ or <laughs> something. Maybe, you know, like Maybe you're the asshole. <laughs> exactly. That's, that's the PT yeah, bot. That's, that's part the of the thing again. Yeah. yeah. And but, like, have you guys ever been to St. Louis, you know, in the St. Louis Arch? And it's like, you go up in that thing and you... you are inside it looking down you know 620 feet to the ground out of these tiny little like submarine windows and there's something really magical and strange about it and you're not feeling so bad anymore that they took your 28 dollars and you know weirdly enough i did exactly that and my mindset when i was up in the arch was this is not that impressive and i'm glad i did it at the same time <laughs> oh yes because you've experienced I can see that this too. it's like a yeah it's like a fair evaluation i give it yeah, I, I was um, just I would I would have missed out had I not done it. But in doing it, it revealed that it was you know exactly what I feared it would be. Just oh kind of like man, a view. It was just a view. I, I connect with that though because it's like a know your enemy attitude, where it's like you're, you're, you know you you could have badmouthed the arch from the base of the arch as much as you wanted to, but after oh, you came so, down, so you, now you've been armed. No, no, hold on. This is true hipster fucking talk. You the hipster <laughs> who has been armed with the ability to actually like discount it <laughs> because you've experienced it. That, That's amazing. Doesn't that in a way sort of inoculate the hipster from criticism because yes. they at least they at least did experience it. Yes, exactly. Um, it's fascinating. Right. I'm on board. Um, thank you for your insight. Um, and you know, I think that's a good way to describe this entire episode so far. Is it's just been super insightful. I I expected to learn like things about the project, just given its grand scale, that I didn't imagine. But really, it's been even even more than that. Did you say so, grand scale? What did you say? The grand, the grand scale of it. Yeah, it's like very impressive, the, very cool, <laughs> very chill. Yeah, grant means like something's really great. Um, <laughs> no, but if if you could continue this this train of generosity and and jump us back into the topic with a couple of answers to a couple of questions, uh, we'd be very grateful. Hey, Chris, do you have a couple yeah. of A's yeah. for a couple of Q's? I bet you I got a few A's for you. You're a type man. You're a type man. I know you do. Yeah. Uh, firstly, and uh, foremostly, how can our listeners support you? Mm-hmm. You know, I've really been thinking about this uh, a lot in general. And one of the ways that I feel like any of the students or the artists or the other people that I've talked to can support me is by just like getting out there and doing something really similar. See, I don't think of the thing that I did as like this gimmick or this novelty. I think of it as like harking back to, you know, the time of the guilds and the time of the unions when there'd be an apprentice, then you'd have a journeyman time, then you'd be a master and have an apprentice of your own. But the only way you're ever going to do that now is if you facilitate it yourself. So, you know, whether you're an illustrator, whether you're a printmaker, you know, email somebody, just find someone that you like their work and get in contact with them and go spend time with that person, go work with them. And uh, I think there's more to be gained in a short period of time by doing something like that than 
there ever would be by, you know, trying to learn on your own, uh, this autodidactic space that we're in in craft now where everyone's teaching themselves is a very dangerous place that I'm very skeptical of. And I love the idea that we'd be back in a place where people are teaching people directly. So, you know, spiritually, I guess that's sort of my answer is just get out there and do it and get in contact with other artists and travel. Like I'm traveling, uh, more directly, I would say, follow my project and understand how I'm doing it. You know, the normal platforms, Instagram is one of the best ways. Everything's under itinerant printer. You can see all the studios I'm in every day and you can see the prints that I'm making. You can see the other work from the people that I'm engaging with. And in that way, maybe it'll inspire you to, you know, really put your boots on the ground and, and get out there and do the same thing. Hell yeah. Great answer. Uh, I feel like there was a, a an hour-long conversation not had with the idea of autodidactic yeah. self-autonomous learning. But perhaps oh, that's not so for when you... so much to say about that stuff. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm sure that you do. And we do, too. Um, but... <laughs> The second episode, the second episode of the itinerant print. Undoubtedly, um, (laughs) Chris, if I could ask, then, if you would like our listeners to take one thing away from your time on the show, what would you want that to be? That is actually still possible to make a living doing the thing that you love, even if it's art. Where I feel like at this point in time, we're sort of trained, even the people coming out of art school. It's how to take what I would think of as like a secondary vocation. So it would be like, all right, well, if you do X, you're a graphic designer, that'll facilitate your hobby. And then hobby almost becomes like a dirty word. I think that if you're entrepreneurial enough and you're organized enough and you're ambitious enough, that everyone can still take that thing that they love and they can turn it into something that might work. And even if it's for a short period of time, like that's a victory. Even if I do the itinerant printer project and then I have to take a job washing dishes after this, um, you know, for those two years, I was a traveling artist. Dude, that's the perspective, man. That's just so really great. So on point. For, for, it, it echoes um, in different terms a lot of what we've talked about, which, you know, we've, we've used this fucking analogy of, like, somebody treading water. You know, this has probably been mentioned, what do you think, Vince, like 212 times? It's actually probably times. just, yeah, it's probably just, like, a part of the show now to mention. Yeah, it's, like, two to three times per episode. But, yeah, just, like, literally swim in any direction and you'll have momentum and that will <laughs> that will send you way further than treading water ever will but uh, and then there's another idea i really connect with there which is like uh low key like jump and a net will appear and you'll be really happy you jumped because <laughs> like th- there's just so much to be gained from that jump and you're going to get a lot more confidence in the next jump and the next jump and the next jump and you're going to be so much further along not that it's a competition but it it is like a really gratifying feeling to grow and, um, man, there's so much opportunity out there if you jump. Yeah, and I think that you'd be surprised by people's generosity. That's oh. the thing that I was saying early on. So if you put it out there and you jump, you know, you don't necessarily have to jump where there's no net. You can get in contact with just a few people, and it gives you a little bit of a safety net. And then from there, you're right. You build confidence. I totally agree. And I just wanted to tell you guys, too, it's been great to be able to have, like, what I feel like is a nice and open sort of a little bit more uh, I guess meandering conversation about the project because I usually get the same 10 or 12 questions, you know, where are you going next and this and that, but sure. it's like the, 
emotional side of this, uh, as well as the social side of it, is really one of the most compelling to me. So even to be able to talk about it a little bit, you know, and talk about it offhand still feels great. That's awesome, and that, that's great feedback. And and in a, a semi vulnerable way, what I will say about the format of the show is uh, there's a, there's a lot of there, there are a lot of voices in our heads, I think, that say, like, no, tighten it up, do this, do this, do this, you know, like, make this more professional. More. But I, I do think, like, uh, part of the show for us is is taking the leap every time and not overthinking it or overproducing it. Um, and uh, it, it's great to hear that that connects with you. And, and I think that's, like, part of, part of what we're trying to do every single week. And you guys have been succeeding. I feel like yeah! Thanks. Uh, that means a lot um humbled and it was a a really fun conversation to your point chris so yeah thanks for joining we we have one more a but this time it's not an answer it's more of an ask let's hear Uh, or wait no vince should it be an r let's do an r a request yes yes Um, (laughs) you you probably you probably know it uh but you know we wouldn't want to pass up an opportunity to to fuck it up anyway um (laughs) Could you do our signature sign-off? It is ship it, which is to say that if it doesn't ship, it is an art you must produce for something to happen. Print it, Uh, baby. (laughs) Print it. Print it, baby. Uh, If you could give us a signature uh, itinerant printer ship it, that would be most ideal. I'd say get on a plane, get on a train, get in your car, make it and ship it.